Welcome, everybody, to an exclusive episode of The Sheriff. Guys, do I ever have a treat for you today? I have a real-life living legend with me today, ladies and gentlemen. Now, my guest today, he is a guy that is a pioneer for the sport of hockey. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there is good players and there's great players. My guest today is a great player. And to be honest with you, in my opinion, probably one of the greatest black players next to Jerome McGinley and Grant Fuhrer. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, he hails from Montreal, Quebec. He has played over 900 NHL games, ladies and gentlemen, scoring an incredible 300 goals. And ladies and gentlemen, he was drafted almost in the first round to the team that I was drafted to the Buffalo Sabres. And we're going to get into all of that and much, much more. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Tony McKegney, how are you doing this evening, my friend? Hey, Sean, uh, great and uh, great intro. I uh, heard lots of good things about your podcast and I'm so happy that uh, I finally got a chance to be with you and on it. But I, I wanted to begin by the question I asked you. Uh, we're two black hockey players. I have a last name that is Irish. Uh, you have a last name and first name that are Irish. Can you tell me your story? Because I know my story. Well, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm honored to be asked the question by the <laughs> legend Tony McKegney. And I, I'm very happy to tell you. So my name, Sean Michael McMorrow. When I was younger, I used to think I was the heartbreak kid, Mr. Sean Michaels, the WWF wrestler. My middle name is Michael. But to answer your question, Sean Michael McMorrow was originally Sean Michael Scipio. My parents split up when I was six years old, mm -hmm. and my mother's family is from Toronto. Now, we were all born in Vancouver as my parents had moved out there when things were thriving in the late 70s. So when we moved back to Toronto, my mother, who is 100% Irish, my father is 100% from Trinidad and Tobago, so I have a black Trinidadian father, and a, and a six-foot white Irish mother. So now, <laughs> my white Irish mother thought it would, be, it, it, it would be best for the kids to have our names changed from Scipio to McMorrow, which is her family's last name, because all the McMorrows were in Toronto. And with all the cousins and everything, she just thought it would be appropriate. And I'm happy that she did it. I'm very proud of my name. Scipio is still a part of my name, but McMorrow is my surname, and I'm very proud of it. What about, uh, Sean, what about the Sean Michael thing? Obviously, you had that. That's You can't get much more Irish than that. Well, no, it, it, well, I can't. And I'm, 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 I'm ecstatic to have the middle name Michael. But what I was referring to is that Sean Michaels and Marty Jannetty are a famous tag team, WWF tag team group. Right. And so when I was younger and I was a big fan of Hulk Hogan and all these guys, I used to be like, yeah, you know, my name is Sean Michaels, so I, I must be Sean yeah. Michaels from the Rockers. So yeah, I'll tell you uh, story, though. Tony McKedney, how did you get a name like that looking like you, sir? Yeah, you know what? Uh, interesting story, Sean. Um, I was born in Montreal, Quebec, and uh, my father was from Nigeria. And it's funny we mentioned about all these connections with uh, people, siblings coming from the Caribbean, from Nigeria, of all places, and end up in the NHL. My mother was from Lithuania. They met at university in Montreal. And uh, unfortunately, my father had to go back to school at Oxford in England. He could not take her back. And she was a single parent and uh, trying to uh, raise me. So she couldn't handle it. And I was in an orphanage actually for about um, a month, I think. And then I, I got my medical records because I found 
my original mother in Canada and my original sisters. I got to know them through the DNA thing. So in saying that, uh, basically, I found out I was in an orphanage and five different families were vying to adopt me. And uh, the one family that adopted me had the same religious background as my mother, my, my biological mother. So the family adopted me and they had three of their own children at the time, uh, one of which was adopted. And then um, myself, and then uh, my older brother was black and, um, and he was adopted about probably three years prior to me uh, thereabouts. So basically um, that basically got me involved in hockey. But the first day I got there I was 13 months old. Everybody was out in the backyard doing this activity. And I, I'd sit there in the kitchen, look out the kitchen window. What are they doing out there? And I, I couldn't wait to join them on what was outside. It was winter time when I, I was adopted. So it was the middle of winter when I went there and the rink was in full force. And my brothers and my sister as well were just walking in out of the house with skates on and out there and all their friends were coming over to our house. And that's what I remember with growing up. And then I finally, at two and a half years old, I got a pair of skates and started skating and playing hockey. And that's, well, that's how I got the name. My dad was from Ireland. I uh, came over with his family, uh, father, mother, uh, my grandmother, grandfather, and came to Ireland. Uh, my father was a minister. And uh, so anyway, uh, long story short, uh, that's how they came to Canada from Ireland. And I got the name McKegney. Well, I I appreciate hearing that because I, I, I love hearing about history. I love hearing the good stories. So thank you very much for sharing that. So well, I was very lucky, uh, Sean. I was going to say very fortunate to go to that family. Because uh, I'm thinking that the other four fam families that were maybe going to adopt me probably didn't have a hockey rink uh, in their backyard. So in that uh, element, I was extremely lucky to be in that situation. Yes, I 100% agree. Now, there's a bunch of really interesting and cool facts that I just heard here, sir. Now, first of all, this outdoor rink, we're, we're definitely going to get back into that because I, I became a huge fan of outdoor rinks ever since I played I lived and played in Quebec City, which I know you did oh, as well. Yeah. I can't wait to talk to you about Le Capital. Sure. So, now, so now, Mr. McKegney, this is an amazing story that, that you just told. Okay, so the story of, of, of your biological parents, the story of this family adopting you. Now, let's go back to what year in time this was. Okay. Actually, I was uh, born in, in 1958, and I was adopted uh, 13 months later in 1959 is when I went down from Montreal to southern Ontario. And my mother came to pick me up on the train and uh, brought me back. And when I got to the house, um, I saw, I've seen pictures of it. My dad is a photographer, um, my uh, adopted father. And uh, I it jogged my memory because there were 15 people there waiting for me when I came to the house. And it was almost like a celebration uh, of me arriving. Uh, they, they knew I was coming and they couldn't wait till I got there. So that was my introduction to my new family. Uh, and I, I, I won't forget that. It, it's still some things you remember. And when you see a picture, sometimes it just makes it all come together for you. This is, this is, it, I, I find this absolutely incredible. Like, this is incredible. I want to stay on this for a little bit. Your brother, Ian. So he's also adopted. Actually, it was uh, my brother Mike was adopted just ahead of me, and my brother Ian is uh, uh, from my uh, adopted parents. So there are three there were three children from original, and then my brother Michael, uh, older than me, was adopted. So three white children, one black children. Then I become I became excuse me number number five in the family. Wow. Okay. So now your older brother 
he broke a lot of barriers as, as well. Now, wasn't he the first Montreal Canadian black player? Yeah, he was, Sean. It's very interesting you brought that up. I was so proud when I somebody sent me the story from Montreal, uh, Rajon Houle, and uh, I was so happy that he, I totally didn't think about that, him being the first African-American player to be drafted by the Montreal Canadiens. And when I thought about it, and I played against Montreal for my whole career, so I didn't see anybody during my 15 years. So it made sense to me that I, and I watched Montreal uh, for five years, the whole time I was in Kingston playing junior hockey, I knew the Montreal Canadiens team very well. So I, I was so proud of them when that happened. And I'll tell you a story. Uh, because I was watching the games from the stands when my, my older brother, four years older than me, was playing. Great hockey player. So I heard a lot of the uh, verbal abuse, racial stuff, because yes. I was in the stands and I heard it, I heard it, and I heard it. In two, two parts of the story, I think my brother took uh, a lot more abuse than I did because he came before me and nobody was used to a black person being a great hockey player. They weren't used to that, dominating. So the other thing was we had three other black families living in a town of 75,000 people. There in were three, three black families in Sarnia, where I grew up before. Yeah. So there, there were 20 black people living in one city, and we were two of them. So you didn't see any, any black people. It was, uh, if you saw them, it was an oddity. Um, so that, that was a situation with regard to sports and hockey and everything else. Um, but my brother definitely took the brunt of a lot. And when my situation was different, when I, uh, when I got on the ice, um, I shut everything out. Uh, I didn't look at anybody in the crowd. Uh, my whole focus was on what was happening on the ice. And in the NHL, the only time I looked up into the audience was after I scored a goal. And I just wanted to look up and see the people uh, being happy and rejoicing. Other than that, I, what, I didn't hear anything of anybody. You just shut it out, shut it out, shut it out. Uh, the only people I heard, there were a couple of trainers that would yell at me and people that were near the bench, you could hear them because you were close to the bench yelling shit at you. Other than that, um, I just shut her, I shut her down, focused on the ice, and I didn't want anybody to distract me with anything. I was out there to uh, do a job and make the NHL. That was my goal, and I did it. You sure being did. A black, being a black person, I did it. You, you definitely did it. Now, just to add to that, you know, you made a comment that, you know, you, 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 you were able to tune everything out. You were completely locked in. You tuned everything out. You concentrated on what was important on the ice. Now, you're very talented, my friend, to be able to do that because I can't do that. I'm always looking into the crowd. I'm always doing that. So that's amazing discipline and focus that you had. That's the first thing I wanted to point out. Now, the second thing I wanted to point out was you did mention that there was times where you did, you, you were able to hear that abuse and you couldn't like lock it out all the time. Oh so yeah. Now, when I was, uh, uh, of, sorry, go ahead. Yes. I was going to say, Sean, when I was a, uh, when I was a young, young person, uh, we live in a larger town and we played against all the smaller towns in the area. So we were going to these small towns and we're playing against, and we won all the time because they were small towns. They weren't good as we had the best players from a town of 75,000 people going into a small town of Petrolia, Ontario, of 2,500 people and winning all the time. So I pretty much got the puck all the time. And at one point, I, I thought my middle name was the N-word. Yeah. You get to the point, and there was a lot of racial strife going on in Michigan then. I go over and play Michigan. I went to Ohio. 
uh, went to some places where in Michigan, they weren't used to uh, uh, some black kid uh, basically having the puck uh, pretty much all the time. Uh, it was an oddity. And it just, I, I don't know if it made people nervous. Uh, in my hometown, uh, everybody loved it because we helped the team win. And yeah. everybody got along with us. Our parents knew all the other parents. Uh, we knew the other players. Everybody got along because we, we won all the time. And uh, we only had one coach. So the parents were never involved with anything to do with the team because we were winning and everybody was happy. Yes, absolutely. Now, it, it, it's, I, I really want to pick your brain a little bit about like growing up in Sarnia, though, because like I mentioned before the recording, I had an opportunity to live in Sarnia as well. Yeah. I was drafted to the Sarnia Sting. Now, this is in 1999. Mr. McKegney. So it's a little bit after your time. Okay. Well, my, my friends on the, my friends on the team there, the Cicerellis when you were drafted. Yes. Yes. The three brothers. And, and they, I remember they, they didn't consult me on you, uh, by the way. They didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. I was a handpicked Mark Hunter pick because he was the yeah. GM and coach at the time. Right. And when Mark was relieved of his duties at the Christmas break, oh. uh, you know, it's, it's rumored that him and Dino don't really see eye to eye, but you know, that they respect each other as men, but they yeah. just don't get along that well in the same room. Um, so Mark kind of got the boot at Christmas time. Yeah. And then a lot of the guys that were kind of like Mark's guys, we all got unloaded when we came back from the Christmas break, but right. I had a great experience in Sarnia. I remember being in that high school and I'm not going to lie, Mr. McKegney. I think I was one of a handful of non-Caucasian students. Mm -hmm. So when you're telling me about, and, and we went, I think it was Northern, yeah. Northern, mm -hmm. Northern high school that I went to in Sarnia. Yeah. Now, when you were mentioning about the three families, I totally get you, man, because it hasn't changed that much. Yeah. In 1999, it was, it was very few in select that, that I would see like, like a black person in Sarnia. They, they, they now, certainly, they certainly weren't going to hockey games. They certainly weren't going to hockey games. That's right. Yeah. Now, sir, what about school? What about school in Sarnia? Like, what, what was it like in, in a small town like that? Now, mind you, you're a star in this small town. Yeah, so it was interesting uh, because I, I was 14 years old playing junior B. And wow. uh, I ended up, and then I turned 15 during the season. So, And I was playing against a bunch of 19 and 20-year-olds that were going to get scholarships. There was guys that uh, didn't make junior A and they were playing juvenile hockey and then junior B was a stepping stone for them. So here I am at 14, 15, and I wasn't going to play Bantam anymore. So here I am. I make the junior B team. I end up leading the team in scoring uh, as a 15 year old. And uh, one of the guys on my team had two children and I'm going to practice and the guy's got two infants <laughs> that I'm playing hockey with and I'm 15 years old. So, but I knew at that time when I was 15, 16, that I knew I was going to make the NHL if I didn't get hurt. Uh, that would be the one thing because I was playing as good as these guys in junior A that were going to be drafted. And I was 16, 17 years old and I was in the top 10 in scoring and they were going in the first round of the NHL draft. So I'm thinking, okay, just don't get hurt and wait until you're 19 and then you can go to the NHL. Exactly. Now, this is a time frame that I do have a few important questions for you. Now, Obviously, Mr. McKegney, when I have when I have pioneers such as yourself on my show, 
I always have to remind the listeners because obviously my, my, my base isn't, isn't the majority black. You know what I'm saying? So I have to remind them of what it was like for guys at this time and the things that you had to go through. And my point of, of saying this is more of a thank you because you had to go through it, sir, so that I could have a chance to play. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. The abuse, the, the, the heartache, the hurdles, every, there was a, wonderful things as well, but there was a lot of things that were very difficult for guys like yourself that were unfair and unjust, but because of your mental toughness, because of, because of, because of the way that you deliver and always get through everything in life, you got through it and you made things possible for those after us. And that topic, we're going to get into a little bit towards the end of the show. What I want to talk about right now is this time, the Birmingham time. Okay. I was gonna, Sean, I'm going to, I'll talk about that. Very interesting. But I was going to go back to what you just mentioned. A uh, very important point you mentioned about uh, the last thing you said about, um, for me, uh, it was a matter of, um, you know, perseverance, uh, not quitting. And uh, just the thought of, of attaining, uh, obtaining goals and so forth. And um Getting back to the other thing about the distractions, it's just that I didn't want to be distracted by my teammates. Um, I didn't want to take the focus off what we're trying to do. And I think the main thing is it's 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 so difficult trying when, once you get there to maintain that and stay in the NHL uh, because you you know uh, the the two way contract the minor leagues are always looming. There's always three or four guys that come up from Rochester and play on our team. So yeah. you always had to make sure there was no lapse. You had to, the numbers had to be there uh, for you to stay in that. That's the way it was back then, as you remember, Sean. But the Birmingham situation was very interesting because my best friend on my junior team, Ken Lindsman, who ended up going and have a great NHL career, Stanley Cups, and, and great, great career, great, great hockey player. So we were best friends. He lived with me in junior because his mother passed away of cancer when we were both 16 years old. So he came to our house and had all his meals there. His father was trying to raise five kids. And uh, so my land parents uh, basically housed him and fed him when he wanted to, anytime he wanted to come open door. So that helped him. So we remained friends and, and he signed with Birmingham uh, before last year in junior. And uh, he went down there, had a great year and I missed him and I wanted to be with him in Birmingham in the middle of my junior last junior year, they were offering me a lot of money and they wanted me to leave in the middle of the year and contractually I couldn't do it. And uh, they said, okay, well, at, at the end of the season, we're going to do this. So sure enough, in June, early part of June, I signed the contract with Birmingham and uh, Northern Ontario, uh, the Muskokas. And uh, so sure enough, about within a week to 10 days, we get word that some of the season ticket holders in Birmingham were upset that a, a black hockey player was going to be coming to their team. And they weren't happy about that. So they had that situation going on. So uh, at the same time, they were talking about bringing the baby bulls uh from uh ontario league quebec league so those guys went uh rob ramage uh michelle goulet rick vibe and all those guys went to birmingham uh, at the same time when i get out of my contract uh i then fast forward to two weeks later the nhl drafts on and my agents told all the nhl teams that i'm getting out of the birmingham contract so they worked out a deal with buffalo uh to draft me and sign me to a contract that day and the only good thing about the whole thing was that I, I got a sign, signing bonus from Birmingham uh, before they had to let me go. 
<laughs> and I got a signing bonus from Buffalo. <laughs> so hey, in retrospect, I think my mother being so upset at the news of what happened to me in Birmingham. And I never went down there. I was never down there. It all happened by phone and, and you know, in Toronto and stuff, meeting with John Bassett. But uh, in essence, my mother was so upset. Uh, I never saw her cry before. And when she got that news, I uh, read the paper, it was in the paper. Uh, my mother was crying. Uh, and they were, they were uh, quietly happy. I wasn't going to Birmingham, Alabama, because they were really nervous about me going down there. Well, and yes, of course. They never mentioned it. They thought we just, it was hockey. But I mean, at the same time, they thought about Birmingham, Alabama. I was just thinking to go play hockey and be with my buddy and uh, go score 30 goals or something. Yeah, no. And, 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 and you would have. You would have got 30, 40 goals. That yeah. would have happened. I just, you know, some things just aren't meant to be. And well, it, was, uh, it worked out great, Sean, because I got to go to a team that was established. And a year later, the Birmingham Bulls, along with a lot of teams, uh, folded uh, with the WHA. And then, as you know, Quebec, Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Calgary uh, came into the, uh, from the WHA, they, they jumped over. Those teams came over. Hartford, uh, again, I'm trying to think of anybody else. So anyway, that happened all at the same time. So had I gone to Birmingham, same situation, one year there. And then you're back uh, in the draft again or something. So I went to Buffalo. Uh, my family's from Ontario. Uh, all my friends and family were coming to the games in Buffalo, uh, being from Ontario, Toronto, Hamilton, Sarnia. So to have them be able to come down at a day's notice to go to a hockey game, it was fabulous uh, that they were able to see me play. And that if I got drafted by Atlanta, they were coming to Atlanta to watch a yeah. hockey game yeah. on a moment's notice. So that, that was cool that my family was able to come to Buffalo for all the years I was here. Yes, of course. And it was it was five wonderful years for the Sabres, right, sir? Yeah, it was good uh, for me, uh, Sean, coming to an established team where there were guys that I grew up watching and liked, like Gilbert Perot and Danny Hare. Uh, just great leadership, uh, great guys. Uh, that the whole uh, the team was was hardworking. Fans were great. Uh, we won a lot at home. Uh, not too many people beat us on our own rink, which I, I take pride in. And uh, we won a couple of division titles. Uh, we won a, uh, We didn't have President's Trophy back then. They didn't have it, then. they brought it in later. Uh, but yeah, we went to the semis a couple of times and uh, we had a couple of teams in the, in the quarterfinals that were good enough. And we just got beat by a couple of hot goalies. We had a couple of guys that didn't show up, uh, unfortunately, at the end of the year. And, uh, but a couple of teams were really close. To, if we would have got back past that one level, which is the second round, we got yeah. the we, we could have been all right, I think. But I mean, a lot of things have to happen uh, to make that work. And uh, I'll tell you an interesting story, Sean. Uh, the, my, my career. So Montreal wins the Stanley Cup four times in a row. Okay. Uh, when that finishes, the Islanders win the, the Cup four times in a row. I got beat up by the Islanders in the semifinals. They go on to win the Cup. So after that, Edmonton wins the Cup four times in a row. So there's 12 years. If I wasn't on one of those three teams, there's 12 Stanley Cups. That's uh, unless you were on one of those teams for 12 years, that's it. Yeah. Um, and there were 21 teams. So if that's you were right. on one of those three teams, uh, they were, you know, four, four, and four, 12 years. Uh, isn't that something? And then uh, Pittsburgh wins two in a row. Yeah. Right? Uh, yep. So that, that, there's my career. <laughs> I want a pre I want a president's trophy, but they don't give you a ring for that, unfortunately. 
Exactly. And, and you know what? I, I, I just want to remind the listeners, Mr. McKegney, of what, how it was like really a heyday for Western New York, specifically Buffalo and Rochester, New York, when you lived and played there. Those cities were thriving. They had the Kodak, the Xerox, you know, all those factories are pumping. People are working. The city of Buffalo. Now, I know there was like a couple riots and stuff. So like things might have went down a couple of years. But but I know the city was just a really well-built, strong city. And it's not so much like that right now in downtown Buffalo. But when you were there, man, those were such the glory days. You guys had such a good team. You guys would always be beating those Toronto Maple Leafs. And like one of the conversations that we had, sir, was I, I want you to talk about the, the Canadian support of your team from all the way up to Toronto, right through Hamilton, the Niagara region, the QEW. Like, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know yeah. you guys were televised in Ontario as well, oh, right? Um... Yeah, that's true about being televised. Uh, and we had a lot of fans between um, here being Fort, Fort Erie, if you will, Buffalo, New York, right? And uh, Toronto and then beyond that. And then even the, going the other way towards Woodstock, Ontario, they could get that feed over there. I talked to people who watched this in Woodstock, Ontario, a place like that, and, and obviously Guelph and that area. Uh, but I was going to tell you about uh, my friends were the original owners of the Buffalo Sabres. And I was in the middle of writing a book before the COVID and I've still got, I don't know, eight chapters. I've got more to do, but it's, it's, it's there. So I was doing research on how the Buffalo Sabres came into the National Hockey League and it took eight years to get the team here. And I said, why did it take eight years? And they said, well, they looked at Pittsburgh who got in and Philadelphia who got in in 67 and LA and Oakland. And they didn't think Buffalo had the fan base to support an NHL hockey team. And the rink had 10,000 seats. They had to raise the roof and add 6,000 more seats, which they did. So anyway, sure enough, uh, part of their, their thing was they, they would get 5,000 season ticket holders from the Canadian side. They would come because they, they, they couldn't get tickets in Toronto. So yes. sure enough, uh, absolutely, the whole time I was here, 5,000 people from Canada came over that border for every game for the Buffalo Sabres. And that, that solidified the team because of that fan support from Canada where the people that didn't want to drive to Toronto and not get a ticket there in Buffalo, they could get tickets uh, when they needed them. And it was the same NHL hockey. And as you mentioned before, at the time, Buffalo was better than Toronto. Toronto went through a period of time that they were uh, not good. And, and I was thinking about five because we talked Harold Ballard era. When he got when they got the uh, record beat by uh, Austin, I talked to Ricky Vibe and I said, you know, at that time in Toronto, you scored back to back fifty goal season, but your team wasn't very good then, and you still managed to do that on yeah. a, on a so so team. Yeah, which was that was incredible. And I saw yeah. I saw him do it, and I thought that's awesome. And I knew him from Team Canada and uh, from juniors. Uh, but I was so proud of him because he did that. You know, being a Toronto Maple Leaf, there's a lot of pressure there. One hundred percent. There was so there was so much pressure, and like I I I was blessed to have uh, a Rick Vibe as a coach in in junior. Oh, nice. And, and we've and we've kept in contact. I actually I've had him as a special guest on the show. Oh, good. And I, I I really enjoy picking his brain. Great hockey mind. Great great guy. Yeah. Mr. Rick Vibe, and and I'm sure he's a great friend of yours. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, uh, Sean, we alluded to it before when we were talking pre um, when we go on tape. That to me, one of the most amazing stories is, is that the, 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 these families that came from the Caribbean to places like Toronto and Montreal, 
And these kids that came through in the 80s, uh, the Warrells, the George Lorax of the world, the, the Freddie Brathwaite's of the world. Uh, and I could go on and on with those guys. Uh, uh, Weeks, yeah. Weeksy and, and uh, Anson Carter and those guys yep. came through and, and uh, P.K. Subban. And can you imagine a couple? And it just shows you that a- athletics can, can play through. They could be a basketball player. They could be a football player. They could be a baseball player, but they chose to play hockey because their athleticism they made the NHL. Now, I, I don't know, and, and incredible point. I don't know if it was you, Mr. McKegney, or if it was Danny, your son, that I had this conversation with. But along these lines, we were talking about, could you imagine if Michael Jordan... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it you or Danny that I talked to? Well, I, 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 I made that point before, just thinking, okay. uh, because I got to see Michael Jordan when he played for Chicago. Yes. Uh, yeah, huge basketball fan growing up. And uh, we were talking about uh, different idols and people you looked up to growing up. My idols were basketball, football, baseball players, uh, pretty much. And those, my dad got me a subscription for Sports Illustrated. And every week they had a different athlete from a different sport pictured on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It was a big deal. So sure enough, uh, I had pictures of every major superstar uh, that was on that cover, but the one I had next to me was a picture of Bobby Orr uh, after they won the Stanley Cup. The picture of him uh, diving through the air was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So that was the one I had next to me on my wall. Uh, But I looked up to black athletes, uh, football players, basketball players, baseball players, black people, because... In the NHL, I didn't have a black person to look up to, and and I thought this is a pretty big task. Uh, Nobody's done this uh, pretty much. And and Willie, I didn't know much of. He played forty some odd games, and the hockey news we didn't have then, so I didn't really know much about him other than his his minor league career. I knew about. I read about that part, and didn't know. I knew about Mike Marson a little bit, uh, but um, uh, not much other than that. um, So. So now, so now with the Michael Jordan. To elaborate on that, we were discussing, and you brought up before, could you imagine if he had the access to hockey and what he could have done with that sport, with his athleticism? Yeah. How fast he would have been. Imagine his explosiveness. Because he has got the hang time, right? So maybe that would have translated to the explosive start with the skating. No, it would have been interesting to see. But again, you get back to the point where could his parents afford to have him play hockey? You know exactly. I mean? <laughs> exactly. That goes and, to, hey, and, and we're just about to get into the, 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 the accessibility and all that of hockey. So that exactly, exactly. You hit it right on the nail there, buddy. hundred yeah. percent. And that's the difference between our sport and a sport like basketball is basketball is simply easier to access. Well, other, and, uh, and soccer as well. Soccer equally. Soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So Mr. McKegney, you are such an interesting man that I'm talking about all these little things. And you know what? It's not even the talking points that I prepared for, but I love it this way. Cause this is what a real raw podcast is really all about when you don't even go by your guidelines, you just talk. But what I really want to get into, because I know we have a time restraint. What I really want to get into, sir, is what you got going on right now, my man. Okay, because we have very similar minds. We have very similar passions and we have very similar goals for this game. Can you tell the audience and the listeners 
the amazing things that Tony McKegney projects are happening right now. Yeah, thanks, John. I, I love your enthusiasm, by the way. It reminds me of, uh, you, you're like when you play. You're that, you're that enthusiastic right now. That's good. Anyway, and I, I was too. Um, anyway, right now, um, I finished a movie, part of a movie with Willie O'Ree and a bunch of other people. And uh, we did our part in California in February. It's called Black Ice. And you may have heard about it. It was a book that was oh, yeah. 12 years ago. And they're doing the movie. Uh, Hubert Davis uh, is a person, a director from Toronto, uh, who directed the movie, a documentary piece. And uh, Willie was there. And, and uh, it talks about the, the history of hockey uh, being started uh, by uh, people from slavery that came to Eastern Canada, uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, and out that way. And uh, late 1800s, and they've got renderings, they've got information of relatives that have talked about these guys being out on frozen ice playing hockey. It's quite interesting. So I look forward to seeing the movie. I think it's going to be completed, or excuse me, showing in October 1st. And wow. my, my project is uh, we're doing a 30 for 30 documentary. Hopefully we'll get it sold. Um, it is about my life particularly. And then I've got about uh, 15 other players that I played with and against. And we just have different stories. And then what we thought about doing, because they, there's a young crop of black hockey players, minor hockey players uh, right now that are doing so good. It's the best we've ever had in the history of the game. And I just think it'd be great to highlight those guys and uh, basically let everybody know what a great job they're doing. And then if we talk to the older people like myself and Grant Fuhrer and Ray Newfeld and, and the, the guys that came in when I came in and Claude Rograine and a lot of the guys you've talked to, uh, yeah. basically if we can impress upon maybe the younger crowd, the, the younger fans, the new breed of fans about, okay, you know about the current guys, Anthony Duclair, you know about Evander Kane, you know about the current crop of, of black hockey players that are very good. Uh, but what about, uh, where this started. Would you like to take a peek back in history and we'll have some footage and we'll just show some stills. We'll talk to the guys from, from previous and then we'll, I want to intertwine them with some of the current guys and they can sort of trade stories back and forth. And maybe the older guys can talk about what they went through as a con contrast to what maybe a guy coming through three years ago went through. Maybe it's the same. Maybe they went through the same strife as Grant Fuhrer did or I did or Jerome did, or somebody did back then, maybe there's a comparison here. And how did you make the NHL? Uh, what obstacles did you overcome? So these are the questions. And again, I'm, I'm gonna uh, talk about mental health. Uh, I think it's very important uh, because, and we talked about that, you and I, uh, I just think with head trauma, uh, I know I had 11 concussions in my playing career. And I, the first concussion I ever had, I fell off the back of a, uh, uh, at a baseball diamond. I was watching my brother play baseball. I was two stories up on the back of a grandstand and I fell down fooling around with my, my friends onto gravel. Um, so my friends carried me home and that was the first concussion I ever had. And my buddy, former football player, Hall of Famer, Joe DeLong Lear from Buffalo told me that every time you saw stars, it was concussion. And I saw stars all the time. I'd shake my head, sit down for a couple of minutes and then go back out there again. And I just thought it was normal seeing stars and it was a minor concussion. Um, so what I want to allude to with the movie documentary project, potentially I wanted to donate 20% of the proceeds mine uh, to mental health research, which I think is very important. That's, that's incredible. So I, I just think it's, and I, one of the chapters I wrote that was very interesting was called asking for help because as an athlete, you're, you're, you, you don't ask for help. 
you think he can shoulder uh, go through anything, uh, sh you know, shoulder through whatever the term is, and just get through any obstacle, anything, because you've sort of done it. And then what happens is when your career ends, I think, uh, and one of the, my buddies from the NHL, uh, Kevin Westgar, said it's a transition of life because for 20 years, I went to training camp every September. Uh, it was like not going to school for the first time when you didn't, when you didn't go to school after going to school for, from the time you were five years old. Yes. Your body felt differently and, and you don't really know really what to do. You, you, I, I left high school to go to the NHL. I wasn't an architect. I wasn't an engineer. I wasn't a lawyer. I wasn't an accountant. I wasn't a dentist. I went at 19 years old to the NHL. I left high school. Okay, here I am. Uh, no college. No, I didn't. I wanted to go to the NHL. That's what I wanted to do. Yes. And you, and you reached your dream and you did yeah. it. Yeah. But again, that transition after you finish, where you, we don't have something to sit back on a, a degree. Uh, and it's just different. You're used to being with 20 guys a day, the camaraderie and just being around guys and winning and losing traveling. Uh, it's, it's a different, uh, it's a different, uh, animal. Now, and I appreciate you saying all that. Now, out of all those things, for me, it's all about the team. It's all about being a part of the team. Is that how it is with you? Yeah, it's, uh, you certainly rely on, uh, on your teammates. And again, when you're, when you're fighting for each other and you're going out uh, at night together, you're basically for eight months of the year, and the only day off we had uh, was Christmas Eve, you know, Christmas Day, so two days. And then other than that, we, we were, it was every day uh, for eight months. And you're with these guys every day, showering together, rooming together, eating together, flying together, traveling together. Uh, you know, you're, you're with them more than you're with your wife. And, you know, that, that's a lot of time spent uh, waiting around airports, waiting before the game. Uh, had to be early for everything. Uh, you know, and so you're just with these guys. Uh, at all times. So you learn to rely on each other and there's nothing, no better feeling for me than winning a game on the road. That's what my, my favorite thing was winning a game on the road. We'd walk into Chicago and that crowd would be, uh, you couldn't hear yourself think for 10 minutes. You the scored, Chicago stadium. Yeah. You scored the first two goals and the cloud, the crowd became silent. Oh, it was my favorite thing to silence that crowd in Chicago and they would get silent. Uh, if they got down, they, the crowd just got taken out of it. Now, how would you compare the Chicago crowd to the Philly crowd, sir? Oh, they're all they're like good. Philly uh, is a whole other animal. No, they're, they're, they're all good. The, the cities like that, like New York, I went to a game in New York this year, and it was electric there. Uh, these fans, uh, they're old school, Philadelphia, almost like original six. Like those teams are almost like an original six team. Yeah. Uh, with the fan base, Chicago obviously is. Uh, when I see 20,000 people outside the building, in Colorado uh, to watch. They're not even in the rink. They're watching the game. Yeah. Yeah. When, I went to, when I went to Colorado in the late 70s, there were 6,000 people at the games, yeah. the Colorado Rockies. And yeah. they couldn't give tickets away. So now fast forward to now, and they've got like the hottest franchise, one of them in the league. And I'm so happy for Joe Sackett. I played with him. Uh, great. I hope he wins for Joe Sackett. Yes, I and and, and I'm, I'm a huge Sackick fan, so yes, I, I agree with that. What do you think about Mr. Kadri and the and the G Dub that he got last night? Well, it was great because I know he just came back, and I, I loved him when he was in Toronto. I thought, and I loved the fact he was from London, Ontario, just an Ontario yeah. guy. 
uh, yeah. with uh, the Hunter boys, so like Frank's yep. right? Yep. So uh, nice to see him. And maybe just needed a change of scenery by going to and had a great year. He had 87 points this year. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's an absolute star. He's putting up Tony McKegney type numbers. You know what I mean? It's, it's great to see uh, because I just like him. And I guess you could almost consider him a minority because he is. There, is there anybody yeah, I mean, else in the league he, that is? Uh, I believe. Nationality? I believe he's Lebanese. He is. But I mean, is there anybody else? Be, but Ty Domi was. Uh, so I guess his kid would be considered Lebanese, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's absolutely uh, right. Yeah. But I mean, you, you could consider him as being a minority kind of. Of course. Oh, I, yeah. I think you could, you could throw him into that mix. I, I think. Yeah. And, 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 and the reason why it's so true is because especially from the part of the world where Lebanon is from in the Middle East, Right. They're really stereotyped a lot. They're not treated too well by by well, more other majorities. I remember when they first came over to Toronto back in the late seventies. It wasn't good. In yeah. Toronto. Oh, it was. Oh yeah. Oh, it was not good. Anyway, I'll show, I'll show you two two things, and I'll talk about it. So, uh, in the in the first uh, ten years of my life, I saw the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup five times or excuse me, nine years of my life, uh, nine years old. So all I remember doing is sitting back and watching uh, them win the Stanley Cup and parades and sitting on the couch with my dad, right? And I got to meet Johnny Bauer. So I, I got this wow. picture of, of Johnny Bauer. I put it on my fridge. Oh, wow. And not only is he, is he one of my favorite players, but uh, basically he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life uh, off the ice. Just a great guy. And the other picture I'll show you, I started out wanting to be Bobby Orr, but I, I switched to left wing. So and I got to know Bobby Hull, obviously. But anyway, that, that's my picture of Bobby Hull. And there I wanted to be a left winger because Bobby Hull was just this 50-goal scorer up and down the left wing. And I was a left-hand shot, so I became a left winger uh, because wow. of Bobby Hull. And I got to meet him, and I was played with his son, and I got to meet him and a bunch of things. Yeah, and you know what? Stevie Ludzik has, yeah. a, very, has a very similar story to you. When he was a little kid, his dad and him went to, went to a Leaf game. I, uh, Chicago was in town. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It, it, he went up to him with a cigarette pack and got his autograph. And 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 Hall took the time and, and was patient, shook his hand, looked him in the eye and said, good luck, kid, and gave him the autograph. And Steve oh, yeah. Ludzik will never forget that. So oh. you're, you're, you're right on board with that, aren't you? Yeah, when Bobby Hull I was with the WHA, when he first jumped over, he felt like he had to carry the league somewhat because he signed a big contract. And he was the biggest name that came over. And uh, basically, uh, he was the last guy on the bus. He signed everybody's autograph. I heard from the guys that played Winnipeg. And they waited for him, waited for him patiently. And he was going to make sure everybody got satisfied before he got on the bus. And the guys, the teammates just waited, knowing that he was doing you know, oh, so they all knew. And, they all knew. And, hey, and he's got to sign the autographs. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say too, Phyllis um, uh, Wazito deserves a lot of credit for bringing that team to Tampa Bay originally. Uh, he okay. and his brother brought that team there uh, on a shoestring, and just a Japanese guy that had no idea about hockey, but they they sold it. And look at look at what's happening down there now. It's That's unreal. Phil, Phil and Tony started that. Oh yeah. But how about how strong that whole region is, though, sir, for sports? Yeah. Like, and, and like, I, I forget what teams it is, but like, 
they're all so close. Like there's like three or four major league sports teams, like baseball, hockey, uh, yeah. and then and then the 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 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady's oh, yeah. team. Hey, uh, right? the Lightning. Sean, uh, I bought a home in uh, Jupiter, Florida, in 1981. No way. No, I did. It was it was a write off, and then it, you know it was a rental thing, and I thought my parents were going to use it. So anyway, 1981, and uh, so nobody really, they knew me because some people from Buffalo, so they kind of knew in the small town who I was kind of thing. And, uh, but if you would have told me back then there would be a team in Florida, the Panthers, or a team in Tampa Bay, I would have said you're out of your mind because nobody even knew who the Buffalo Sabres were. Down yeah. I was, when I was living in Florida for the three weeks or four weeks a year. Um, so yeah, uh, but now there's, there's a second black person there now, Tiger Woods is there now. In, in Jupiter. Okay, right yeah. on. He's there now. He's a new... And actually, uh, Wayne Gretzky lives there, too. Okay, right on. Yeah. I, I was going to make the comment about Tiger. Um, Forbes has just qualified him as a billionaire. Well, so I'm, not, pretty- I'm not surprised because I think when when he wins the Masters, that's got to be $100 million and, and everything included. It's got to be worth that uh, with the commercials and everything that goes along with that and the, the equipment. Yeah. I just think that when he wins one of those things, that's a big number. And for yeah. him, he, he got offered 900 mil for to go to that uh, live thing, apparently. Really? Oh, oh, the, 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 the LIB tour. Exactly. 900. Yeah, I, I'm not, I don't know too much about that, but man, is it ever causing controversy? Well, what, what's happening is uh, Phil Mickelson came out and said they didn't feel that the pension plans were good enough for the players after the, the PGA tour. So if they can collect uh, a bunch of money off of doing this, it's their pension uh, outside of the PGA tour. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a cash grab. It's a money. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. Yeah. Uh, wow. but, uh, Jack hung in there because he's got his tournament affiliated with the PGA. The PGA made his career, everything. Okay. He's building golf courses. Tiger, same thing. He's going to have his own tournament. So you don't turn your back on the PGA. If you got a billion dollars, and obviously, he doesn't need the money to, to go over to Saudi Arabia and, and play around the golf. Uh, $900 million? That, what, uh, that, that was a rumor that he got offered. Uh, Phil Mickelson got 200 apparently. $200 million. That Those are numbers being thrown around. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a tough, tough call. Do you take the money uh, or do you stay with your... Do you stay loyal. Or, it's a tough call. Who knows? It is a tough call. So yeah. now, Mr. McKegney... I, like, okay, like, like as, as I discussed before the recording, I'm going to put you on the spot right now, yeah. and I'm going to ask you if you will come back for a part two. Now, sir, I want you on my live show, but I may have to get you on a Zoom episode before we can do that live show. Mm. So will Tony McKegney come back on the Sheriff podcast? Yeah, you know what I'm going to say too, Sean? I'll be through with the immigration situation uh, shortly, and uh, what I'll do as soon as that get, gets rectified, excuse me, I'll just make my way to Toronto because I really enjoy going there. Uh, I love Toronto. Toronto must enjoy seeing you, buddy. Nobody Tony McKegney... Oh. Yeah, it was always a good place to go to. And, and it's kind of interesting. I can't find the record, but I found out that I scored 52 goals against the Toronto Maple Leafs in my career. Really? Uh, yeah. Is that the most uh, of any team? Well, um, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm just thinking about Wayne Gretzky, but I played in the same division, so he may not have done that. <laughs> um, so 52 goals. And the guy that brought it up to me, uh, Harry Neal, uh, brought it up on a broadcast. We were playing against Toronto my last year. And he brought out the fact that I, I scored 52 goals against Toronto in my career. 
So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of the numbers. That's probably five or six goals a year on average. Yeah. Or no, maybe, yeah. maybe a little less than that, but I mean, it's at least four years or something uh, during my career. So, so, so Mr. McKegney, like, like before we go, there's a couple things that I, that I want to get in here because I'm a big stat guy. So the first thing I want to get into is some numbers here. Now for, uh, for all the history buffs out there, everybody knows that right now there's a huge, huge movement in recognition of black hockey history. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Tony McKegney is like the, the Royal leader of black hockey history because Tony McKegney was the all-time point leader for a single season with 78 points until that young gentleman named Jerome McGinley came along. And this guy, I, I think Jerome might've cracked a hundred point season a couple times, but you held that record for a very long time to get 80 points in the national hockey league in one season is absolutely incredible. I got to take my hat off to you now. 320 goals. 320 goals, Mr. McKegney, including a 40-goal season in the 87-88 season. That is big-time all-star numbers, right? That year for you specifically, was everything going, like, super good for you to look at? Yeah, the, the, uh, the best thing was is we had four great centermen that were great passers, uh, starting with Doug Gilmore. Uh, falling with uh, Bernie Federko, uh, falling with Cliff Browning, uh, falling with Tony Herkus, and then Rick Mahar. Uh, we had these great centermen. And what happened for me, I'm a left-hand shot. Uh, the number one right winger got hurt uh, right at the beginning of the year. So they switched me from left wing to right wing. And I was pretty good at the one-timers. So now I'm coming off the right side. And I'm, I got the opportunity to get these one-timers off all the time. Just get yeah. open and uh, Dougie Gilmore and these guys, I just had to get open and the puck was there. So that, that's how you get 40 goals. I wasn't the guy to take the puck from end to end, uh, but I was a guy that could get open, uh, pretty good speed. And uh, basically I, I knew when to arrive. And I spent a lot of time in front of the net uh, on power plays. I just would get tied up with somebody. I'd, I'd screen the goalie. And more times than not, there'd be a rebound from the shot from the point. You turn around and you either had a chip in or you had a rebound goal and a lot of stuff happened in front of that net. If you were, if you're willing to hang out there. Yes. Yes. And only the strongest survived in front of that net. Now I'm, I'm looking at your, at your, your stats here. So the, the 87, the 87, 88 season, you're obviously playing for the St. Louis blues. That's mm -hmm. where you were playing with Doug Gilmore. Now did Doug Gilmore have a straight blade at that time as well? Cause he did for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Was his yeah, it was, it was, it was very straight. And uh, back then they still had that uh, restriction where you could only use a curve to be a quarter inch. And oh. nobody was really going over the, 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 uh, the deal because uh, the McSorley thing, right? Marty McSorley yeah. thing. And it, so nobody wanted to get caught with an illegal stick. So, Dougie stick being a centerman and I played with centerman that used a fairly straight stick. Obviously it worked for him. Uh, he still had a great shot, even using a, a, a straight stick. Um, and um, yeah, just a, a great player. Uh, he was 165 pounds, but he played like he was 180. Yeah. And uh, just uh, there's one thing he used to do was very interesting in the St. Louis arena. There was an elevator right near our locker room that would take you right up to the press box, right up to the rafters. So Dougie would go and take his sticks and he would go by himself with a coffee, take the elevator right up to the top of the arena 
And he would sit there, have his coffee and tape his sticks and just look down at the ice for a half an hour. And he'd come back wow. in and he was ready. So, so I've never seen anybody do that before. Pardon me? That, that was his mental preparation. Yeah, yeah. He just be manifesting what he's going to do. No, but by himself. Uh, he, he sat by himself right at the top. There was no, the extras weren't even there yet. Nobody. Wow. But the press weren't there. This is like 5.30. And nobody was showing up until maybe an hour later for the, yeah. working at the, you know, he was there by himself. And I, I, wondered, I wondered for, for a couple of days, where, where is he going? And then I, I, I followed him. <laughs> I, I followed saw what the secret was. Uh, and then I followed him and then he, I got to look like, uh, you know, leave me alone. You know what? I, I think I've gotten that look. From <laughs> Last year at Steve Ludzik's golf tournament, I was all over Dougie. You know what I mean? I'm a big fan. And I, and I think yeah. he was just like, Hey buddy, I, I like you, but let's yeah. settle down. That's funny. <laughs> so funny. I, I know what that look is. Um, yeah. okay. So Mr. McKegney. We're just about done here. This project that that you have going on right now, I love it so much. I love comparing the experiences of the old school to the new school. I love it so much, and I'll tell you a couple of reasons why. I believe that this is one of the main reasons to make our game more diverse. This is one of the main reasons that will make our game diverse, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Now, Let's take a kid, any city in North America. Let's take Buffalo, New York, for example. Buffalo, New York, kid grows up. Now, the kid grows up. He's watching cartoons. He's watching his, his sitcoms. He's watching this. He's watching that. Oh, all of a sudden, a history special comes on, on black players. Now, mind you, this is a black kid. So now he's able to learn about Tony McKegney scoring 78 points in the NHL. Scoring over, scoring 320 goals in the NHL, playing over 900 games, being an all-star, being everything that he could be. He's learning about you. He's now looking up to you. You're an idol to him. And now he wants to be like you. So now he wants to ask his mom, 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 I want to play hockey. I want to be like Tony McKegney. I want to do what he did. So by you doing this, it's making people aware of the heroes, of the pioneers, I try to carry this on with my podcast. I try to make my podcast concentrate on history and mental health. And those are the two things that you have projects going on right now. And I couldn't be more happy. I couldn't be more proud of you. And the one thing I could say is please do not stop Tony McKegney because we need you to do this. We need you. We, you're a huge idol. You need to be put on a pedestal way more. I'm going to be doing my best to be magnifying your career and all the other pioneers throughout until we get to NHL having your guys' personal days. Tony McKegney Day. The hey, NHL Sean? Tony McKegney Day. We celebrate hey, Tony McKegney today. Hey, Sean, let me show you my jerseys that I have here. I want to see all of them. Here's, here's the home blue. Sorry. Wow! So that is that a is, is it is that like authentic? Is that game worn? Tony McKenna uh, Buffalo it, State. It, it is, and it's funny. I, I did. I brought out the clean one, but I, I had one I let my friend use, and I uh, had what, one for beer front. league. No, it had it had no. It was uh, the OJ uh, uh, Howard to get the football player. He was going to go to the Sabres game, so I gave him okay. a customer, yeah. my neighbor from the Bills. So uh, it had blood on the front of it. And he said, there's blood on this. He went and washed it. And I, I gave another one. And he said, how'd that blood get there? I said, I said, it wasn't mine. That's there you go. 
Yeah. Who knows? It's whoever so anyway, here's, uh, here's the other one. Uh, my friend Richard Martin uh, passed away, and uh, we got a, a symbol on here for him. Oh, wow. For a uh, former uh, Sabre, scored 50 goals three times. Yes. Uh, so yes. My good friend of mine, he passed away about uh, eight years ago now. And then I've got that one, the color that you had, and what you wore probably, right? There you go, yeah. Great. Uh, yeah, great I, I like that black. I'll tell you a story. Uh, when my friends and his uh, girlfriend were running the team then, back uh, probably before just before you got there and uh they wanted to to do that jersey because they wanted a kid he told me in phoenix arizona to like that jersey so much to buy it uh not knowing much about the buffalo sabers but just like the logo and like that black color and yeah. the logo. so they were just hoping they could sell a lot of that stuff and they changed the original logo uh to that logo uh but uh, i like the original i like what i wore uh, i like yeah. the the original stuff. That's what I like. Well, see, I like the stuff that you wore better than what they wore this past season. Now I know it's supposed to be the same, but there's just something about the threads that you guys had. It's just like, it's incredible. You're absolutely right. It's incredible. Well, that, that color is a, it's sort of a Royal blue. And I, one of the things I'll tell you about the original six is that the colors of the jerseys, the Montreal red Jersey, uh, the leaf, uh, blue jersey, uh, Chicago's home, uh, a red jersey with the logo, the Bruins, like the original six, my God, these logos and these teams, they still stand up today. Yeah. Right up Isn't there with, with, with anybody. Um, you know, I don't care about the Las Vegas Gold Knights as far as their logo, it's great. But I mean, I, I want that Montreal jersey. I know. Or a Sabres yeah. or just something that, you know, yeah. just, man, they, they were so smart. Detroit Red Wings, red, the red and the yeah. red wings. Like, it's it's incredible what they came up with back then. And and the wheel for the Motor City. Oh, yeah. absolutely. In the feather, right? And like the that motorcycle wheel? Absolutely. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, just way back when. Uh, they, they figured it out. Um, so, anyway, Sean, uh, yeah, definitely we'll come back to for part two. 100%. I was going to say, sir, you, you, you're so awesome. I could talk to you all night. I did promise you a time. So I'm going to stop being selfish and I'm yeah, going to cut it down. I'm just such a big fan. And I know the listeners are like, no, no, keep them on a little longer. But guys, we, we got we got probably about double the time that, <laughs> that okay. Mr. McKechnie promised us. So I appreciate it so much, sir. I can't Great, wait Sean. for you to come. Thank you and so keep much. Up, I can't uh, wait keep up the good work. Come. Yeah, keep up the good work with uh, what you're doing. It's great. Well, thank you so much. And, and, and Mr. McKegney, I just want you to know that there's a lot of people that look up to you and I'm not lying about trying to make some changes to get pioneers like yourself more recognized, put on pedestals because the young generation, we need to learn about all the things that you did, sir, because you did make it possible for guys like myself that came after you. And all I have to say to that is thank you very much, my friend. Great. You're welcome, Sean. That's great. And uh, again, uh, really good. Good luck with everything. Thank you so much. We're going to sign off now, guys. Thanks a lot, Tony, for coming on. Hey, guys. Woo!